Welcome to Lompoc Foursquare Church's podcast. Enjoy the message. As I was watching the video that you didn't get to watch uh, about Martin Luther King, I was, I was struck uh, the first time I watched it, and then again this morning, by the power of an individual that comes to understand a sense of personal assignment and then walks out that assignment even when it's contrary to what is going on in the world around them and how that power multiplies exponentially when they begin to gather others and move forward together. This is part of what we're going to be talking about together this morning, and it's, it's my belief as I've been praying that the Holy Spirit wants to shake some things off of some of us, and the Holy Spirit wants to release some things in others of us. And Pastor Bernie has been talking for the last couple of weeks and, and building a case from the Bible that we are, we are better together. And I'm not going to revisit any of that material. I felt like he, he handled that material really, really well. But I want you to keep that better together idea in mind as we talk together this morning about what's possible when we as the body of Christ agree together to join Jesus on mission. But first, I want to tell you a story. So I came late to Goleta. My last two years of high school, we'd been living overseas. And when I arrived, most of the social networks were already fairly well established. And so I had to look for some other people that I was going to share life with. So I started hanging out with a kid from the Midwest, a couple other kids from overseas that, that uh, had moved to the area. And, and we had to find ways to amuse ourselves. And my senior year of high school, most of those guys were already up at UCSB, so we amused ourselves in Isla Vista. Um, my wife, who didn't spend any time here, doesn't know that when you amuse yourself in Isla Vista, you're usually getting in trouble, especially when you're 18 years old. So we, we had to decide what we were going to do for fun, and so we opted for theft. Um, I know, I know. I'm forgiven. I'm a pastor. It's Okay. Uh, it, it started fairly innocuously, fairly innocently, um, actually fairly rudely. Uh, me and a couple of buddies were in one car, and we wanted to ditch the guys in the car behind us. And we thought, they don't have the guts to do anything out of the ordinary. They're pretty straight-laced. So we walked over to uh, an orchard, and there were some, all, uh, some, some lemon trees. And so I, I pulled off a couple of lemons. I said, hey, we just stole some lemons. Um, you've got to one-up that. And I thought they'd just go home, and you know we'd go on about our business. Well... They drove about a quarter mile down the road, pulled over on the side of the road, drove up right next to the fence, reached out, and took some lemons, um, which I've, I've found out uh, after the first service that there is, uh, in Santa Barbara County, when you're still anything, any kind of produce or fruit, uh, that's a really big deal. Was it, did you say it's larceny? Grand, grand theft. Yeah. Yay. So I started off really well. So they looked at us and said, hey, we stole something without even getting out of the car, so you've got to beat that. This, this began a game called One Up. And yeah, I hear that. So what each of us had to do was one up whatever the other team had done. Now, I got partnered up with my buddy Bob. And I don't mean to brag because it was really dumb, but Bob and I were unstoppable. We could not be beat. And the reason we couldn't be beat is each of us was always pushing the limit for the other person. We would start to do things that either one of us left to our own devices and any sense of sanity wouldn't do. But when we got together and started having these I think we can do it conversations, 
Um, we, we did stuff that we, well, we shouldn't do, obviously, but we would never do on our own. Our conversations would go something like this. Uh, I don't know if you know the, the Goleta Sanitation District headquarters right across from the airport in Santa Barbara. Um, so we're, we're hiding in the shadows across the street from that one day, and there is a massive flag that was hanging. Um, that massive flag is now a much smaller flag. I would like to think we may have had something to do with that. Um, but we're talking, I'm not going to tell you who says what, but we're having this conversation that goes, man, it'd be awesome if we could get that flag. It would be awesome. We would definitely win up. We would win today if we could get that flag. So yeah, we definitely would. Um, but there's barbed wire on that fence all the way around the property. And well, I've got wire cutters. Yeah, but, but, there's, but there's a, you know, and then one of us would say, yeah, but there's a, man, there's, there's security guards in that, in that little shack. Yeah, well, we could army crawl. There's spotlights on the flag. We could disconnect those. The flag is eight feet up just to get the cord. I could stand on your shoulders. Let's do it. So we got the flag. We would keep, keep doing this kind of stuff. And, and I was better at this game than I'd ever be on my own. Now, if you were involved in, in law enforcement in Goleta or Isla Vista in the early 90s, I would like to offer my heartfelt apology. Um, and, and let you know that I've, I've since repented. Um, but we just kept pushing the limit and pushing the limit and pushing the limit until one day we're, we're sitting, I think we're in Bob's apartment underneath that massive flag that he hung up on the wall, holding a couple of license plates that we had just taken off some police cars. And Bob looks at me and goes, you know, this could keep me out of med school. I said, you think? Yeah, this could, this could keep me out of law school, and that was, that was kind of the end of that game. Now, if you're here and you're a young person, you're thinking, well, that sounds like a really fun game. We should probably play it. Let me just tell you that these things kind of come full circle. So I'm happy to report that Bob is now a successful podiatrist in the San Francisco area, um, but I was a law enforcement chaplain in Federal Way, and as part of the background check, I had to sit in what they would call an office, I would call an interrogation room with a background specialist who opens my folder, looks at me one day and says, John, have you ever stolen anything? Let me tell you, it was not as funny to her in that moment as it was to me as an 18-year-old. Uh, but the grace of God, I'm forgiven, moving on. Now, John, what does this have to do with being better together? The fact of the matter is I was bolder with Bob. And when Bob was around, I would do things that in, you know, left to my own devices, not only I shouldn't, but I wouldn't have. And while the application was misapplied, the truth remains that God invites us into relationship with him, but in also into relationship with one another, that we might continue to call each other into areas where we might not step out on our own. Pastor Bernie said last week, and he said the week prior, don't discount or discredit your ability to minister to people in 2022. When he said that, I immediately thought of this story. I immediately thought of a moment in my life where I was willing to take risks and do some fairly outrageous things because I had someone in my life with me. And this morning, I would say to you, again, what PB said to all of us, don't discount or discredit your ability to minister to people in 2022. Here's what I know about human nature. You and I have an incredible ability to sell ourselves short. 
to say that I'm not capable, I'm not able, I can't, or maybe even I shouldn't. But Scripture teaches us that God has an uncanny ability to take what Scripture describes as the foolish things of the world and empower them and release them to do things that Scripture says confound the wise. About 2,000 years ago, Jesus collected a group of oddballs and misfits, and he set them loose on the region of Palestine, and the world has never been the same. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. Now, it's important when we read the Gospels, the story of Peter and of, of John and Andrew and James, that we don't think this was a group of exceptional men who were just uniquely talented in their own right. If you don't believe me that they were just kind of a, a group of oddballs and misfits, I mean, you've got, a, you've got a fisherman, you've got a tax collector, you've got what Scripture calls a religious zealot and the Romans called a terrorist. Um, you have two guys with anger issues. You've got, a, you've got a traitor, a guy that's got some loyalty issues, and, and a bunch of other people whose, whose backgrounds are a, a little unclear. But Jesus saw them as an extension of himself. They weren't great in their own right. As a matter of fact, Peter and John are in the temple one day. They've just healed a leper, and they've just preached this message, and they wind up in front of the high priest. The high priest looks at them, and this is his assessment of Peter and John. It says in Acts 3.13, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, that, that Greek word means illiterate, unschooled, ordinary, that Greek word is idiotes. Any idea what English word we get from that one? He says they were amazed and took note that these people have been with Jesus. So when the high priest calls you an illiterate idiot, um, he is not complimenting you. These, this is what culture saw in these men, but Jesus saw something very, very different. And Luke 9 tells us the story of the first commissioning and releasing. But before we get to Luke 9, there's something awesome that happens in Luke 8 that serves as a backdrop. So in Luke 8, it's the story of Jesus calming the storm where they all think they're going to die. It's the story of Jesus confronting the demoniac of the Gadareans who is possessed by Jesus says, what's your name? He says, legion, for we are many. Guy ran around naked and they, they tried to chain him and he broke the chains under this oppression. Jesus set him free. The demons asked to go in a bunch of pigs. He lets them into the pigs. The pigs run off a cliff and, and drown themselves. If you haven't heard this story, read Luke 8. Um, then Jesus meets a woman who has been, been uh, sick for 12 years, spent all the money she had on doctors, pushes through a crowd, gets a hold of Jesus. She's miraculously healed. Jesus shows up in a room with a young girl who's dead and everybody's crying. He's like, hey, relax, guys. She's just asleep. They laugh at him and he raises her from the dead, says, give her something to eat, and he walks out. That's Luke 8. So this is what Jesus is doing. You get to Luke 9, and my paraphrase, Jesus looks at his disciples and goes, hey, guys, you're up. Everything you've just seen me doing, it's now your turn. Luke 9, verse 1. Jesus called together his 12 disciples, and he gave them power and authority to cast out all demons and to heal all diseases. That word all, that's an absolute word. It's kind of a big deal. Cast out all demons, heal all diseases. Then he sent them out to tell everyone about the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. So they, they, Jesus is like, guys, come on, huddle up. I want, you to, I want to talk to you for a second. And there is a transfer. Somehow, God imparts to them. He says he gives them power. And he gives them authority. The word power is the Greek word dunamis. 
It's a strength residing in a person or in a thing by virtue of its nature. Not what they're capable of, not what they've done before, but, but something that is now resident, inherent in someone simply by virtue of their nature. The word authority means the power of influence or of right. So you have this impartation of power, the strength that resides in the nature of something, and then you've got the, the power of influence or right. Now, in Greek, when you, when you put certain words together, it can slightly alter the meaning. So in Greek, the phrase power and authority means the power of him whose will and command must be submitted to by others and obeyed. In other words, Jesus gave them the power of him, Jesus, whose will and command must be submitted to and obeyed. I don't know if they, if they felt something. I don't know if they simply heard and received something. But there is a transfer that takes place as Jesus commissions his disciples to do what he has been doing as he sends them out, essentially, as, as the next man up. The fact that he gave it means it had its source in him. He imparted something of himself to his disciples, and then he commissions them. That word commission, right, means co-missions them. He, he calls them to do the very same things that he has been doing, to represent him and to represent his kingdom. Now, when it says that God has given you and I, because I'm going to make the case this morning that the same is true of you and me than it was for the disciples, it was first the 12, then the 72, then by you get to Acts chapter 2, it's everybody. When Jesus gives us power and authority, it's not something that we exercise in our own right. It's not something that makes our chest puff out and we go, all right, we got this, let's go. I am now somehow of a big deal. Because the power and the authority is sourced in Christ itself, then this power and this authority must, must be exercised in keeping with his character. In other, in other words, God gives us this power, this ability, this authority, then he sends us out and says, in essence, do whatever I would do if I was there instead of you. So it's not only what he would do, right? It's how he would do it. So we have to understand that the kingdom of God, though Simon the Zealot was expecting something different, the kingdom of God was not a political movement. It was a forceful deconstruction of the works of hell. Let me say that to you again. The kingdom of God was not a political movement. It wasn't, it wasn't what Simon thought that, that somehow the nation was going to now be lifted above Rome. The kingdom of God that Jesus is talking about was a forceful deconstruction of the works of hell. And that included not only this message of salvation, but, but the works of hell include illness and poverty, abuse, isolation, oppression. Everywhere something is out of God's original design, that's what the kingdom of God is meant to come into and recreate. 1 John 3.8 says the reason that Jesus came, the reason he showed up was to destroy the works of the evil one. And yes, the evil one was keeping people from being forgiven for their sins and coming into relationship with God. But he was also bringing isolation and illness 
and oppression. And this too is part of what it means to bring the kingdom of God to bear in a community and deconstruct the works of hell. The kingdom of God is ushered in through acts of restoration and recreation that demonstrate both the goodness and the sovereignty of God. In other words, Jesus and now the disciples walked around Palestine undoing the effects of sin, even as Jesus was walking to, to the cross to undo the power of sin. Both of these things are happening simultaneously, but that's a conversation for another day. So Jesus calls the disciples. He gives them power. He gives them authority. And then he gives them some instruction. Take nothing for your journey, he tells them in verse 3. Don't take a walking stick, a traveler's bag, food, money, even a change of clothes. Wherever you go, stay in the same house until you leave town. And if a town refuses to welcome you, shake its dust from your feet as you leave to show that you've abandoned these people to their fate. So they began their circuit of villages, preaching the good news and healing the sick. This is pretty radical instruction. I'm sending you out to all these other villages with power and authority and nothing else. Don't take an extra jacket. Don't take a sleeping bag. Don't take a bag of food. Don't take anything you might think you need. I think Jesus was asking the disciples to take a faith step in this moment to really trust him. It's, it's one thing to say, yes, I'm going to do something for God as long as I have all my ducks in a row. I, my 401k is looking good. My, my, not that it shouldn't, but, but I've got everything sorted out. Everything is where it should be. So now I'm going to go do something significant for Jesus. Jesus is like, now nah, let's just go. Let's just go and see what happens. I think Jesus was teaching his disciples in that moment that when you walk in my authority, you also walk in my provision. There's something that happens when we abandon ourselves to the cause of Christ that brings not only a divine impartation, but a divine provision. And in the same way that Jesus was provided for everywhere the Father sent him, he's demonstrated his disciples, he's teaching you and I, that as we go as we are sent, everywhere we go, we are going to be provided for. This is really it's significant culturally because Jesus is saying to his disciples, I want you to go to all these Jewish villages and I want you to depend on traditional Jewish hospitality. Yeah, great. While you're preaching a message that a traditional Jew is going to reject. This was a bit of a, would have been a bit of, I could see Peter going, now wait a minute. You want me to leave my wallet at home? And Jesus is saying yes. Because when you walk in my authority, when you join me on mission, you also walk in my provision. And he says, listen, guys, if they don't accept you, and if they don't accept your message, shake the dust off your feet. Now, a devout Jew, when he had been in Samaria, any Gentile region coming back into Israel, would shake the dust off of his shoes and off of his sandals, off of his robes. Saying, in essence, I'm not going to let the pollution of that community Follow me. And Jesus is saying to his disciples, not that, that, I don't know that he's saying you're not going to be polluted. I think he was saying, as you step out in faith with me, if people don't receive you, if they don't receive my message, if they don't want a part of what you have to offer them, guys, just shake it off and move on. Don't let the disappointment, don't let a sense of rejection, don't let a sense of you're not good enough. Don't carry that with you. Shake it off and leave it where it is and keep moving forward with me. 
I've been a Christian for a long time, and I've been a pastor for a long time, and I'll be honest, I still have moments when I'm trying to share my faith with somebody, and I'm feeling inadequate, or I can't find the right words, or I'm afraid that they're going to reject Jesus, and then they're going to reject me. And, and in this passage, God is telling his disciples that as you go out on mission with my power and my authority, the response of the people that you're talking to, that's not on you. That's on them. So if you are trusting me, and walking in my anointing, and walking in my provision, and people won't receive what you have, man, Taylor Swift them. Just shake, shake, shake it off. Jesus is a big Taylor Swift fan. You may not know that. We're not meant to carry that. Because as he'll tell his disciples in, in chapter 10, it's not me they're rejecting, it's him. Goes on. So he sends the 12 out, and we don't get much a report of what, what they did. But they come back, and now Jesus is going to send out an additional 72. So he's gone from one in him, 12 in the disciples, 72. And as I said, by the time we get to Acts, it's everybody. So let me read Acts 10, verse 1 to you, through verse 11. Now the Lord chose 72, and he sent them ahead in pairs, right? Two by two. Mark says the, the original 12 disciples went out two by two. We're better together. Uh, he sent them out in pairs to all the towns and places he planned to visit. These were his instructions to them. Now go. Remember that I'm sending you out as lambs among wolves. Don't take any money with you, nor a traveler's bag, nor an extra pair of sandals, and don't stop to greet anyone on the road. Whenever you enter someone's home, first say, may God's peace be on this house. If those who live there are peaceful, the blessing will stand. If they are not, the blessing will return to you. Wait a minute. If those who live there are peaceful, the blessing will stand. If they are not, the blessing will return to you. If I come to you on behalf of Christ and try to bless you on his behalf, either by sharing the good news of his heart or trying to do something for you that will begin to deconstruct the works of hell in your own life, undoing the effects of poverty or abuse, and I want to bless you that way, and you don't want to receive it, that blessing doesn't fall to the ground. Where does it go? To me. Talk about a motivation. Not only do I not have to worry about whether or not they make a decision for Christ based on our interaction, but if I bless them on behalf of Christ, that doesn't go void either. If they don't want to receive it, God blesses me with the blessing that I tried to bless them. It is a win-win proposition. He goes on, verse 7. Don't move around from home to home. Stay in one place, eating and drinking what they provide. Don't hesitate to accept hospitality because those who work deserve their pay. If you enter a town and it welcomes you, eat whatever is set before you. Heal the sick. Tell them the kingdom of God is near you. Demonstrate the presence of the kingdom and talk about the presence of the kingdom. But if a town refuses to welcome you, go out into its streets and say, we wipe even the dust of our town off of our feet. Gives essentially the same instruction to the 72 that he gave the 12. Don't take anything with you. All right, starts with your better together, then don't take anything with you. Uh, when you walk in my authority, you walk in my provision. But then he says really specifically, as you go, be a person of peace. As you arrive in a community, as you encounter a person, may God's peace be upon this house. The idea of peace in the Jewish community had to do primarily with right relationships, the shalom of God. 
And it was trifold, right relationships between people, right relationships between people and God, right relationship between people and God's creation. So he says, I am sending you out with power and authority, but not as a big deal, rather as a person of peace who is working to restore things. This, by the way, rules out a couple of things. It rules out standing on street corners, screaming, God hates sinners. It rules out, forgive me if this is one of your favorite pastimes, Facebook rants. It rules out yelling at people about how much God loves them. We are powerful as a people of peace. And God said to his disciples, heal the sick. My paraphrase would be demonstrate the presence of the kingdom and speak the message of the kingdom. You will not find a place in scripture where these two are mutually exclusive. So as people of peace, we cannot be people who speak of the goodness of God without simultaneously demonstrating the goodness of God. This is why God hates sinner signs on the corners, which I know you would never do, but I have met people. This is why not only they don't work, but they don't demonstrate the heart of God. Be a person of peace. Being a person of peace is not mutually exclusive from being a person of power and authority. You understand? Don't make me do the clapping thing again. You understand? Okay, just pretend. It's all right. Heal the sick. Demonstrate and preach that the kingdom of God has come near. There, there is something in the way God has designed us and in the way he has empowered and then commissioned us that is meant to have a tangible effect on the people with whom we interact. There must be something of our witness that is rebuilding and restoring the brokenness around us. You cannot separate the heart of God from the message of God. And when you read the Gospels and you look at what Jesus does, he teaches and he touches. He healed the sick and he taught about God. He fed the crowd and he taught about God. These two are synergized. And so as he is sending out first the 12 and then the 72, as he sends us out today, he is saying the both, he's saying the same thing. Demonstrate that the kingdom is at hand and teach that the kingdom is at hand. And then, then finally he says, you won't be judged by whether or not your, your message is received. If, if it's unreceived, if they don't receive you, unreceived is not a word, I just made that up. If it's rejected, shake the dust off your feet and head on to the next town. Then they come back, all right? So they get this instruction, they go do it. Verse 17, this is where it gets fun. The 72 returned with joy. Say with joy. Greek for they are pumped. They come back, these guys are fired up, and they go, Lord, even the demons submitted to us in your name. Jesus replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing, another translation says, by any means, will harm you. They come back and go, holy cow, it worked. And when they say even, even the demons submitted to us in your name, that means everything else you said was going to happen also happened. 
They were provided for. They kept their peace. They were able to demonstrate the presence of the kingdom of God. They were able to communicate the goodness of God. And they didn't carry anything away from those encounters that they shouldn't. No, no rejection, no shame, no embarrassment, which is pretty good for a group of idiotes. Fair? I mean, they, they are fired up. And Jesus, master of understatement, basically says, I know. I know because I was there the first time it happened. I was there when the question of who has what authority was settled. He says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. And he doesn't mean, you know, I was standing on a hillside looking up and I saw this happen. When Satan fell like from heaven, it's because Jesus himself basically put his foot in his backside. Jesus threw Satan down. There was a moment when Satan's dunamis and Jesus' dunamis went head to head, and guess who won? Jesus is saying to his disciples essentially this, I have already settled the question of whose power and whose authority is preeminent. I've already settled the question of whose power is going to remain standing, who's going to have the most influence at the end of the day. That power dynamic has already been established. So disciples 1272 LFC, for you, now it's simply a matter of walking out what I have already seen, what I have already established. I settled this. And so now my invitation to you, because God is awesome. And God wants us to live fully alive. So he says, my invitation to you is that you would begin to walk in the fullness of what I already know. So I'm going to give you my power. I'm going to give you my authority. I'm going to invite you to join me on mission. I'm going to send you out two by two, and you will see the transformation that takes place as you begin to discover what I already know is true. Requires a couple of things. Requires faith. I believe that Jesus actually has given me this power and this authority. And it requires obedience. I'm going to go where he sends me and I'm going to do what he asks me to do. They might have understood something that, that could slip by us when he says, you're going to trample on snakes. I love that phrase. You know where my brain goes when I read that? Go straight back to Genesis 3. Satan has come, the snake has come, he's deceived Adam, he's, or Eve, he's, he's tempted Adam and Eve into establishing their own kingdom rather than living in the kingdom of God. God shows up and he talks to the snake. And he looks forward to the moment in time Jesus is going to come and he says, listen, you're going to bruise his heel, but he's going to what? He's going to crush your head. Jesus is going to trample some snakes. And Jesus is saying in this moment, his disciples, you want to put your stomping boots on too? Do you want to walk in the same kind of authority that I walk in? Do you want to walk in the same kind of power that I walk in? Do you want to see the kingdom of God extended through your influence the way it's extended through my influence? Do, do we understand that this is what Jesus is saying in Luke 9, Luke 10, and the rest of the gospels? Do we understand that this is what we this is what it means to be saved to be born again it doesn't mean simply to be saved from your sins for which we say thank you Jesus but it also means to be released the same way the father released him as he came out out of the Jordan River at his baptism and to begin to do damage to the works of hell 
on behalf of Christ. This is what it means to be born again. And if we, if we stop the story at safe from our sins, we miss some of the best part of what it means to be a follower of Christ. We have been saved from something. Absolutely true. Thank you, Jesus. We have been saved from the consequences of our own sin. But you and I understand this, have also been saved for something. We have been saved to partner with Christ in the expansion of his kingdom until the moment he gets back. And it's not meant to be beyond our capacity or beyond our reach because he has already taken of himself his nature and given it to those who have surrendered their lives to follow him. There is nothing you Hear this. Sorry, I was a little aggressive. Hear this. There is nothing you need that you don't presently have to minister to people on behalf of Christ. John, that's a bold claim. How can, how can you say that? Because scripture says Christ is in you. The hope of glory is already resident within you. And if this is why Paul, Paul says nothing is impossible for those who love Christ Jesus and who are called according to his purpose. It's why he says that you and I are more than conquerors. I don't know what more than a conqueror is, but it's you. Because Christ indwells you by his spirit. And I'm saying you a lot. I'm not yelling at you. I'm yelling at me right now. I'm trying to preach myself happy. You understand what I'm saying? I should get at least one amen out of that because what I said was really good. I got two. I'm happy. Guys, it's not good because I said it. It's good because it's true. And when we actually let the truth of what God is saying and doing in these passages begin to take root deep inside of us, and when we find someone like Bob who will sit next to us and go, no, I think we really can, when we're like, I'm not sure if I should. A Holy Ghost Bob, not a, not a my buddy Bob. We begin to grow in faith and in impact. We begin to see the transformation that Pastor Bernie said was the word on his heart for this year. When the people of God begin to walk in the power and the authority of God, extending the kingdom of God by doing whatever Jesus would do if he was there in our place, there is nothing that cannot be accomplished. Hell shakes. I believe it positively shakes at the idea of a group of empowered disciples who are awake to their identity in Christ, who are committed to the purpose they're called to, and who have chosen to move forward together. I think the reason that there is such a direct attack against the identity of a Christian is because when we understand who we are, we are unstoppable. And there is nothing that hell would like to do more than attack our courage, our confidence, our sense of conviction, or our sense of value. And if you would say to me this morning, John, that may be good for everybody else, but I can't do it. Can I just tell you with all the love in my heart that you are contradicting the God of the universe who looks at you and says, oh, yes, you can. Oh, yes, you can. Because I have taken residence within you. And nothing is impossible for me. And so there is no, no assignment I could give for you. No child I could ask you to parent. 
No, no neighbor I could ask you to love. No coworker I could ask you to encourage that you are incapable of. Whenever we extend forgiveness or mercy when judgment is called for, whenever we, we demonstrate humility when we would prefer to exalt or exert ourselves, when, whenever we, we speak words of hope to people who are in despair or extend, extend grace to people who are anxious, when we speak the truth of the gospel to people who are living a lie, when we invite healing into places of physical, relational, emotional brokenness, we're living as citizens of the kingdom, extending the influence of the kingdom of God into areas of darkness. And we're at our best when we do this together, when we cheer one another on. Now, from time to time, we can lose sight of this truth. I think it may have been the case for a group of men and women in a town called Ephesus. And so their friend and pastor Paul from a long way away wrote him a letter and prayed a prayer over them. I want to share this prayer with you, and then I'm going to pray it over all of us. Hear the words of Paul to people who may have been wrestling with a sense of what's possible, what God can or would do through me. He says in verse 17, I keep asking that God, the Lord of our Jesus Christ, excuse me, God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation that you may know him better. And I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened or may be opened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and then get this, his incomparably great power for us, another translation says, at work in those of us who believe. And he says that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in this present age, but even in the one to come. In, in other words, over everything. I pray, he says, that you may know this hope and you may know this power. And then he says, this same life-giving power that met Jesus in the darkness of the tomb and raised him to new life. But as he's praying this prayer, as he describes it this way, I pray that you would know the power that God exerted in Christ Jesus. Understand where you are in that sentence. I, I pray that you would know the hope that is exerted to bring life to other people. The position we find ourselves in that prayer as not as the receivers of life, but as the givers of life. I pray, he says, that the eyes of your heart would be open, that you would know this power that brings life to people who are in darkness as Jesus was in a tomb. Because when we understand this is not only our destiny, but meant to be our present, then we become a group of men and women who are pulling dead bodies out of tombs and bringing them to life again. Whether that tomb is a broken marriage or a dead-end job, we are called to be life givers who understand and walk in our authority. I'm going to close with this and I'm going to pray for you. I said as we began, I feel like the Holy Spirit wants to shake some things off of some people. Maybe impart or wake some things up for some other people. If as I've been talking this morning, there, there are places where you just feel like a block. Like I just, I want that to be true, but I'm not sure it's true. I, there's some things about 2021 I just need to shake off. Or maybe it was something from 10 years ago. I, I just need to shake off. Guys, come back and be with us. Drop in anytime between four and six this afternoon. 
We're going to have a, it's just kind of a self-guided reflection and there'll be a chance for you to talk to Jesus about the things that just need to be shaken off. Bring them to the cross and leave them there and walk away. Maybe you want Jesus to wake something up inside of you this year. You want to, you're like, man, if that was true of them and that can be true of me, I want that. Drop in sometime between four and six. There'll be a chance for you to talk to Jesus about those things. And what I'm most excited about is not only having a, 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 a couple that will minister communion to you, but pray over you and call into being the things that have long been dormant and breathe new life by the Spirit of God into you. I believe there will be an impartation. And if, if you're not able to be here between four and six, set a little time aside and just say, Jesus, whatever you're gonna do there, I want you to do here with me now. And if you would say, John, I know we're better together, but I don't know anybody. I'm disconnected. Next Sunday, we're gonna spend some time talking about some small group opportunities that are coming online mid-February where you can find a Bob or you can be a Bob. And we continue to cheer each other on in relationship into whatever God has in the future. Stand to your feet with me. Let me pray Paul's prayer over all of us as we go. God, I ask that you would, in keeping with your word, give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation. God, that we might know you better. And I pray that you would open up the eyes of our heart so we can know the hope that we have in you. God, I, I pray that we would be able to understand the riches of our inheritance in Christ. And Lord, so critically this morning, I pray that we would know your incomparably great power that is at work in those of us who believe. That power that was the same as that strength you exerted in Jesus Christ when you raised him from the dead and seated him at your right hand in the heavenly realms. God, let us know that power and capture your heart that we may do the same thing where we encounter areas of brokenness or darkness around us. In the words of Isaiah, Lord, we say, here we are. Send us in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Know that you are deeply loved, children of God, and you are unstoppable. We hope you enjoyed today's message. Please visit us at mylfc.com for more information about our church. Thank you so much for listening.